return of the midweeks. All right, friends, let's keep moving along in Samuel here. Welcome back. I'm glad you're taking the time to study the Word of God with me, and I trust that as you're bringing your heart of faith to this, that God's speaking to you, and that he's educating you, that he's enriching your knowledge of his word and your knowledge of him at the same time. We're in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, and this is where the story is going to take another big turn. As you remember, um, coming through this, this story started with Elkanah and his wife and their childlessness and how her prayer of faith really changed her life as well as the entire course of Israel. And then that story was interwoven with um, the life of Eli and his uh, judgeship and his high priestlyhood and how that um, the cracks of Eli's life were on display there. And then as Samuel was born and entered into service in Eli's house, his life and his call from the Lord to become a prophet was interwoven with the fall of um, Eli's household with the death of his two sons. And now we have Samuel at the end of his life, or getting older at least, his final days are going to be interwoven with the rise of King Saul. And then King Saul's life is going to be interwoven with the rise of King David. And so we see um, scriptures really telling us literally that these people's lives are all woven together. One person's ascending while another person's descending, and and they're just written in a way that you can see that their lives are all connected, and the history isn't just a bunch of marbles rolling downhill. Excuse me, history is um, trees growing and dying. It's an interconnectedness. It's it's our roots are all built together and our, our leaves sway in the wind and we impact each other. We're all connected in this. And so that is shown just by how the story is written. But now we're going to be introduced to King Saul. He's not a king yet. And he's going to meet Samuel. But what's really interesting to note as we just get started here is that this story really does have a huge change of perspective. It it leaves the perspective of Samuel and joins the perspective of Saul, even so much so that you kind of have the experience of meeting Samuel through Saul's eyes in this chapter. But without any further ado, let's read chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerur, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the book, we said when people are introduced with a long genealogy, this is a sign of honor. So we're being introduced to Saul in an honoring way with an extended genealogy that goes back from Saul, one, two, three, for five generations, and then also includes his tribe. So this is an honoring introduction for Saul, which is a good thing. Even though in the last chapter, God said that the birth of the kingship was not a blessing to him, so to speak, um, it's entered into with faith and some honor and some celebration. So there's multiple perspectives going on in this story, and you need to be able to roll with it from God's um, situation. Their request for king is not great, and yet God can still raise up a king 
and give him due honor as the first king of Israel. All right, so this uh, first king, he comes from a rich family, and he's super handsome, and he's also taller than everybody else, so at least, you know, six to eight inches taller than everybody else, and so he's being presented as an ideal king. Now, if you remember from the last chapter, the people wanted a king just like all the nations. And so he's being presented, first of all, physically. What, what are his externals? He's got wealth. He's got looks. He's got size. The, externally, he looks like a great king. The question is, in his heart, is he a great king? Is he a man of faith and faithfulness? Is he a great leader under God? And so that's the big question. And you're going to see that there's going to be a rise and fall in Saul's life. And eventually God's going to say to Samuel, when he's talking about David, I have selected a man after my own heart. And so this is the real issue. But right now we're introduced to him from the externals, wealth, looks, size. He looks like a great king. Verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish... Saul's father were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and rise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shaalim, but they did not find them there. Sorry, and they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. Okay, so we, it's really interesting. The first story we hear about Saul is he's out looking for something. Um, and he's he's kind of lost. They can't find these donkeys. And so this isn't the, the best introduction to Saul, but it's very human. It's very normal. But what did we learn a few weeks ago or a few chapters ago from the story of the Ark of the Covenant with the Philistine territory? Well, the Philistines used these two cows and took their calves away and said, if these cows wander off into Israel, we know God's in control here. Now, similarly, we have some wandering animals. We have these wandering donkeys. And so it's not impossible to see the hand of providence in this, that God is actually also in control of these wandering donkeys. And he's trying to lead not the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, but he's trying to lead the future king of Israel to the prophet of Israel. When they came to the land of Zeph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. So that's good, he's caring about his father. Very good. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us the way. Period. Okay, so Saul wants to give up the quest. They're out of money, and their dad's probably starting to worry about them. His servant is the one who has this kind of faith. Well, there's a man of God nearby. Why don't we go and ask him? And so this is, we're learning a bit about Saul's character. He's not kind of in tune with the spiritual realms so much, not as much as a servant. A servant's a wise servant and a blessing. And so he has this idea. And Saul, rightly, I think, is wondering about showing this man honor. He wants to come and he doesn't want to not be able to honor him as he comes with a request. This isn't a bad thing. And the servant, though, is the one who has something in order to show the honor. So Saul is a little bit underprepared for this journey. Or maybe he's just spent the money. We don't totally know. But the servant comes to the rescue. Again, the hand of the Lord. 
Um, Saul's ready to go back, but the servant has this idea and is able to convince Saul to keep going and at least meet this man of God. So God's providence is in effect over Saul's life here. Verse 9. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servants, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now this is a bit of an interesting verse that the author of the book, the, the human author writing by the power of the Spirit, is giving some information that there's actually been like a title change for the people who would hear God on behalf of the nation of Israel. You, they used to be called a seer, and then their name change was to a prophet. I'm not totally sure. I could do some study and figure out what these words mean, but I'm not sure that would even help us understand what's going on. But there's a little bit of an etymology going on here into the titles of these people. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to make of it. Sometimes the Bible likes to give updates on words, but maybe, you know, it's just really good for him to say, explain why the servant had said, let's go and see the seer, when we might be expecting the word prophet. But there we go, a little update. These books were written a long time ago, and the books themselves, the book of the Bible itself, knows that it needs updating, not in terms of content, but for understanding along the way. And Saul said to his servant, well said, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now notice, we don't really know who this man of God was yet. He's this mysterious character. We're seeing this story through the eyes of Saul, not through the eyes of anybody else. And Saul doesn't know who this person is. And so we're not told who this person is, but who could it be? Verse 11, as they went up to the hill, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered, he is, behold, he is just ahead of you, hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have sacrificed today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. After those, Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. So, if there's any doubt about the hand of providence moving in these young men's lives, here it is. They go and they meet these young women. They say, is the seer here? And they are just full of encouragement. Hurry up, go ahead, go see him. He's just now come. So there's this perfect timingness about this and saying, hey, and there's also this big party that's waiting for it and the guests are going to eat. And so they encourage him to go up. And so because of their encouragement to keep on going, they run into Samuel just as he's coming along the way to the high place. So this moment of Saul and Samuel meeting was engineered by coincidence, quote unquote, by the providence of God to lead them together. And when Saul sees the seer, then it's revealed Samuel's name, that this was Samuel all along there talking about. But of course, Saul didn't know who it was, but we know who Samuel is. And so this is this moment where Saul meets this person whose life we've been following for his entire lifespan, from before he was even born in this story to his old age. Now Saul realizes or sees that it's Samuel, and we know that this is a person's talking about. Aha, it's been revealed. Now, Verse 15, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Great. So 
Again, if there's any wonder what's going on, now it's revealed that God has already told Samuel that this was going to happen. And he even says, I will send him to you. Now, how did he send him? Did he send a prophet and say, go here? Or did he send an angel? No, the donkeys ran away. The donkeys ran away a long time before this. And then the servant had an idea. And then they met these young women. And God claims responsibility for bringing Saul to Samuel at this place through all of these coincidences. And what I find interesting here is when the Lord is talking, to Samuel, he's kind of upbeat about this. Even though he's saying the kingship isn't great, he does say, this is the man I've chosen. He's going to, quote, save my people from the hand of the Philistines because I've heard their cry. And so if you've read Judges recently, you remember that that's the part of the pattern. The people rebel, then they cry out, and then God sends them a judge to save them. And so here we have the same pattern. He's hearing the people cry out. And so he's sending them a deliverer from the Philistines, except this time it's going to be a king. So God is having mercy on the nation. He's sending them a deliverer. Verse 17, when Samuel saw saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. And so it's interesting. Saul sees Samuel, and then we get Samuel's name. At the same time, Samuel sees Saul, and the Lord says, this is the guy. And so both of these guys are kind of having this aha moment together as they see each other. This is engineered from the Lord. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Now, so I have to correct myself here. Saul doesn't know who he's talking to yet. We know, but Saul doesn't know yet. So he goes up and kind of funnily, he goes and asks the seer, do you know where the seer lives? This is great. Samuel answers Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for today you shall eat with me and in the morning I will let you go and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? It is, is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? So we've got this interesting thing. Saul blunders into the seer. Hey, do you know who the seer is? The seer says, yes, it's me. And I want you to stay with me today and eat at this feast. And don't worry about the donkeys. So this is when we find out exactly how long Sam, Saul's been gone for. He says, you lost them three days ago. Um, but they've been found. But hey, you've got a special purpose here. Uh, Israel is desiring you and your father's house. You have a purpose. You have a call. And Saul responds with some humility. But Also, when we're looking at his character, remember character is revealed through words. He over humbles himself in some ways. He he humbles himself with not true honesty because he says Benjamin is one of the least tribes of Israel. I don't know if that's true. I would say Dan is at this time. At the end of Judges, Dan is almost completely destroyed. No, that's Benjamin. Yeah, that's right. So Benjamin has had a terrible time. They, they were really decimated in their numbers, so forgive me. That part's probably true, that Benjamin is one of the le- le- least tribes in Israel. But it says, is not my clan the humblest of all the clans? No. At the beginning of the story, we know that he his family is a ma- family of wealth. So he's not one of the least. So He's humbling himself or speaking humbly of himself, but it's not entirely true. There might be some false modesty running around in here. But he's right to say, why are you speaking of me this way? 
Verse 22, Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you may eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. All right, we'll just pause there. Okay, so Saul is given this huge piece of meat, this huge um, honoring piece of meat at the head of the table. So he's being honored right away. Just imagine how confusing that would be to show up some town, you're broke, you've got no food, and you're looking to see a seer, and then all of a sudden you're the guest of honor at a party being hosted by the most famous man in Israel, Samuel. So this would be quite overwhelming. Note also as well the amount of detail about eating here. Remember the issue with Eli's house was that Eli and his sons chose to honor themselves with the kind of food they ate. They ate God's fat. Here we have a few verses talking about how Saul is not by his own engineering given the food of honor by Samuel, by grace. So this is a gift. This is the right way to do it. Uh, Saul's not seeking it out for himself. He's been given it as a gift, but it's always good to know running themes. And so themes about meat, so far in this story, it's come up a couple times. When they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. Okay, so we're going to Oh, wait. One more verse. And as they were going to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servants to pass on before us, and when he is passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Okay, so the feast is over. It's been a long night. Saul spends the day or the evening with Samuel. He wakes up in the morning, and Samuel engineers getting. Saul by himself in order to give him this extended prophecy. But we're going to wait for next time for that. But just as you see this story starting, you can see that God has engineered this this encounter by working through providence as well as speaking to his uh, prophet. He's brought together this appointed feast so that Saul's um, beginning of his journey into kingship is one of honor. He's got this feast where he's given this leg as well as being introduced with the long genealogy. So even though, you know, it's not going to end great for Saul and it, the people's desire for a king isn't great, God starts off this journey by giving him honor, by honoring him, by arranging his life. And so we can see the mercy and grace of God upon him. And I love that God says when he introduces Saul to Samuel, he says, this is the guy who's going to save my people. Even though this isn't a great desire for a king, I have chosen him to be the savior of my people and protect them from the Philistines. We see the grace of God in action, even in the midst of a terrible event. And it's just a great lesson for us. You know, nobody's perfect. We all have mixed motives. Even like Saul, we can be falsely humble. We cannot really understand what God's doing. We cannot know who the prophet is. But God regularly will continue to honor and to continue to give grace and continue to be patient, even in the worst of moments. And so let's let this build up our faith. God treats us well, even when um, we know our own weakness. And if we're humble, 
God will give grace to the humble. It's only when we get really proud that things go funky. But here we meet Saul in his humility, in his early days, being honored by God and seeing his life arranged completely under the providence of God. All right, be blessed, everybody.